Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today, deal or no deal, China trade talks hit day two. We'll bring you a few different perspectives. Michael Froman, U.S. Trade Representative under President Obama. The question is whether these tariffs have enhanced the chance of reaching that structural or just created more noise in the relationship that we now have to walk back from. And Steve Bannon, the former advisor to the Trump White House on China and the C-suite. It's stunning to me how they've corrupted corporate America. We're in the third week of the United Auto Workers strike outside General Motors. We'll hear from a GM parts supplier. You've got two huge behemoth entities. They both have so much to lose by not getting this resolved. Plus, news from Iran. WeWork is looking for more money, and it's Friday. The Breaking Bad sequel hits Netflix. You are just like, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, Sandra. What's what's wrong with you? Not only that, it it turns out he's a Don't, don't, don't say it. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Friday, October 11th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's day two of China's vice premier's trip to Washington. The lead American and Chinese negotiators are reportedly working out a mini deal, a skinny deal, a partial deal. Whatever you call it, something is in the works between the U.S. and China, we think. On Squawk Box's TV broadcast, we heard from experts and reporters about the fraught bilateral relationship in this week's meetings. Here on the podcast, we're highlighting three of those conversations to give you, our listeners, a solid setup on the situation heading into the weekend. First up, former U.S. Trade Representative and current MasterCard Vice Chair Michael Froman. Here's Becky Quick. Mike, let me just get your take on what's happening here. We've been trying to read through all of this and determine what's really happening. Are we looking at a de-escalation, but not necessarily a deal that's, that's going to bring a lot of the things that were promised? Well, remember, at the beginning, the administration said they wanted not just to get more sales of pork and soybeans to China, but also fundamental structural reforms. It looks like now we're heading potentially towards a bit of a mini deal for agricultural products, maybe a statement on currency similar to what's been stated by the G20 uh, before in exchange for not further escalation. It's actually not so much a de-escalation, but to move away from the threat of additional tariffs. Is, is this the opening step, though, towards a broader resolution? I think it's a welcome step. A, yeah. I think it's a welcome step if this uh, changes the dynamic. They've been going at it for about 18 months now. Mm-hmm. If by at least this mini deal, they get back on a path towards true de-escalation, removing existing tariffs, not just uh, preventing themselves from ad- applying additional tariffs, and getting fundamentally to the structural issues, which are the really important ones. Intellectual property rights, forced technology transfer, subsidization of state-owned enterprises. Those are the ones that the administration has said they really wanted to get at. Those are not currently on the table, it seems like, in any meaningful way. But, but that, hopefully they'll be down the road. I was going to say, is that ever something that we can hope to accomplish? Because well, the Chinese I've, hawks have come out in such a big way about saying we don't 
don't have to do this. We're not going to be kowtowing to you. Look, I think that's the challenge of the negotiation. Uh, conceivably, the, the imposition of tariffs and the threat of tariffs increased the leverage of the administration. And now the question is, how do you use that leverage? What can you get for it? If at the end of 18 months of tariffs on $350 billion of goods, we get a few billion more soybean sales, it's great for farmers, that's important, but one will have to ask, has that been worth it? Or can we use this kind of leverage to actually get more fundamental change in the economic relationship? We tried it the other way in the past, and it hasn't been incredibly successful. Do you think that this is going to have more success? You know, I think you need a combination of efforts, right? You need a combination of organizing the international community to put pressure on China with the European Union, Japan, and others. Uh, you need to use all the tools at your disposal, including bringing them to the WTO when they violate their their uh, international obligations. You know, back in the Obama administration, we offered to negotiate a bilateral agreement with them where these were elements of it, and we were actually were about 90% done with the agreement. So I think you can get there, but the question is whether these tariffs have enhanced the chance of reaching that structural or just created more noise in the relationship that we now have to walk back from. Joe, Becky, and Andrew also spoke to Wendy Cutler. She was the acting deputy U.S. trade representative under President Obama and a negotiator for TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Here's Andrew. Wendy, good morning to you. We keep talking about the skinny deal, the small deal, what kind of deal could actually be uh, hatched here. And I would even ask, if you get a deal, how significant is the deal? If you think a bigger, grander deal is what ultimately needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to look at what's in this deal. But key for me will be, is has China agreed to do anything on the issues that were the reason the United States came to the table? Or is anything on IPR in this deal? Is anything on forced technology transfer in this deal? If it's just about rolling back tariffs and some Huawei licenses and agriculture purchases, that's not really moving the ball forward on why we, why we initially came to the negotiating table. It's yeah, a step forward, but it's it's you know it's 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 just a step. Yeah, then we'd be back to where we were with the exactly. Obama administration, not not doing anything, sort of. Well, I'm, I wouldn't agree with that, but <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, then we'd just well, be back to where we were when we didn't do anything ever before. So well, that would that'd be horrible. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Wendy. Go, okay. Go All right. Um, I mean, kidding, not kidding. Is right. is right. how Joe is really right. approaching this? Um, my question to you, though, is politically. Um, within the context of China and to the, con- to, to, to the degree that you want to see a deal that captures the IP issues and, and, and some of the more contentious uh, issues that brought us to this uh, debate or, or, or much larger trade war, is that something that you think is even plausible within the next year before the election? I think it is plausible. I think, you know, up to last May, both sides were making progress on these issues, and then things seemed to fall off the rails. So I think it is possible, and I think in this interim or skinny deal, whatever we're calling it, um, it will be important to see if there at least are just some aspects of those issues that are captured in this interim deal. Can you speak to the, to the pressures inside China on President Xi right now to come up with a deal that actually incorporates some of the issues that I know you, you care so much about? And the reason I ask is that the pressures on our own president, I think, are relatively clear right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in, terms of, in terms of the pressure on Xi to come to a deal right now? I think the, presser, the pressures on Xi are really about... Um, getting some tariff relief and lifting some of the tariffs. And I think that's why China is so positive about trying to find um, a way to have a partial deal. 
What worries me is that once an interim or skinny deal is concluded, whether China then decides, you know what, let's just leave things the way they are, wash our hands of this, and not go ahead and address the issues that brought the United States and China to the negotiating table. Uh, my one question would be is, even if we don't increase the tariffs from 25 to 30 percent on that 500 plus billion dollars worth of goods, if we leave those uh, tariffs standing, would that be something that would motivate China to say, OK? And, 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 and the other question is, how has the entire calculus changed because businesses are just saying, forget it, I'm not going to do sourcing there. I'm going to try and find other ways that I can do this. Right. And a lot will depend on whether this deal just avoids future tariff increases or we go back to the $250 billion um, of last summer. And if we go back to the $250 billion, China won't like that. But I don't know if that's a motivation for them then to make the really tough right. decisions that they need to make on subsidies and state-owned enterprises and other issues along those lines. Hey, Wendy, totally different question, but same topic in, in many ways. I want you to weigh in on this dispute with the NBA and what it really says about the way American businesses uh, have to operate within the context of China and the way they should operate um, and, and speak either freely or not based on what we're seeing take place right now. Yeah, I think in every boardroom, people are, are, are struggling with these types of issues. China is a huge market. I think for the MBA, it's over a market of over $4 billion, um, and it's growing market. And so um, I think all companies are going to, companies and associations, they're going to really have to see how to balance um, <clears throat> um, domestic, um, you know, necessities to, 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 to speak up um, as well as not to offend the Chinese. But, but what is your take on that? Meaning, should U.S. companies effectively silence themselves to do business in, in, in that country? My view is U.S. businesses, like U.S. citizens, we have to, we, you know, we have freedom of speech. We should, we should um, talk about how we see things. And if that upsets the Chinese, so be it. Even at, even at the cost of access to that market? I think every company has to decide that for themselves. But I think U.S. companies need to be true to themselves and true to, the, true to American values. Okay. Uh, Wendy, we're going to leave the conversation there. We always appreciate uh, seeing you and uh, this debate slash trade war continues. So thank you. Thank you. Our last voice on the evolving China trade talks is Steve Bannon, the former White House chief strategist who arguably was the architect of the Trump administration's entire view on China's role in the global economy. A little background for the pod. Bannon joined us remote from a balcony in Athens, Greece, with the 2,000-year-old Parthenon in the background. Something for your mind's eye. Here's Steve Bannon on Squawk Box. So... I don't know uh, what you think about the, the latest developments. Uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin was uh, smiling, no teeth, but smiling yesterday. Everybody seemed to be getting along pretty well. We've started calling this, what may come out of this, a skinny deal. Is that what you expect, and is that something that, uh, that, that we should have probably expected all along and not what you would have done? Is it, is it a half measure? Should we have stayed longer at the table to get more out of this? Well, look, uh, Joe, I think this shows the power of President Trump's program and his negotiating position. You know, President Trump, his policies and, and his negotiating position have worked. Remember, the key here is the state-owned industries and the forced technology transfers, the bigger overall deal to restructure their economy. That was this May transaction that Lighthizer and Vice Premier Li He uh, negotiated. 
you know, China is hurting so much by these tariffs. And what they're trying to do is anything possible to get President Trump, I think, to delay or either nullify the October tariffs. So I wouldn't be surprised today if you saw some interim deal, as I've been talking about. They might, uh, they might do some interim deal. But President Trump's very focused, I think, on the overall deal that starts to bring the supply chain back to the United States. So this- hey, Steve, uh, I think you're going to agree with this op-ed. This was an op-ed in The New York Times uh, just yesterday. We were talking about it's, it's a quote that I think almost you could have written. He says, a darker, tr- a darker truth is now dawning on the world. China's economic miracle hasn't just failed to liberate Chinese people. And this is the part I'm curious whether you'll agree with. It is now also routinely corrupting the rest of us outside of China. This column referring, I think, to uh, freedom of speech issues uh, related to the NBA. What's your take on that? You know, we've talked about this many times on the show over the last six months. This is the whole what President Trump's been laying out and really, quite frankly, with the Hawks and groups like uh, the Committee on the Present Danger have been talking about. The, the CCP and the kind of globalists in the party of Davos have infected the entire global system. And, and really, you've seen that this week in the NBA fiasco. What was really shocking is ESPN last night put up the map of China and included the seven dots. It included this this highly controversial area in the South China Sea that the Chinese just take for their own sovereignty away from the nations of the world and away from international law. It's stunning to me how they've corrupted uh, how they've corrupted corporate America and really corporations around the world. But this is what people have been saying. And I think now you're seeing it. So whoever wrote that. Uh, yes, I, I 100 percent agree with it. Quite frankly, wish I'd written it myself. <laughs> Steve, what, what's the alternative? I mean, you look at so many multinational companies, U.S. companies that do a lot of business there, but also have supply chains there. And, and Apple obviously comes top of mind. They've done things like when they report their sales, they report sales for greater China, which includes Hong Kong and Taiwan, which is the way the Chinese like to have these things done. They've taken apps off of different situations. But these are companies that say they are operating under the laws of the nations that they are serving. And that they, they, while they are trying to promote democracy and their way of thinking, freedom of spree- speech, uh, that they can't exactly do things that the, that country considers to be illegal. Is the alternative that you can only operate in your own country? No. The, op- the thing is, you can, you, there are certain rules that you ought to make country that you ought to be able as a company to abide by. In China, which is really, you know, with the Uyghur situation, with the uh, human, uh, the, uh, the uh, organ harvesting. Uh, the suppression of the Chinese people. Remember, the Chinese workforce is basically a slave labor workforce. And companies like Apple and, and these companies have to stand up. And this is not just some marginal thing. Yes, every country is going to have certain, you know, certain things that, are, that you have to abide by in their business code. But these are fundamental about human rights. Look at the streets of Hong Kong. What do you say to every American company doing business in Saudi Arabia or, or any other country? Or Russia. Or, or Russia. China. Or, I mean, you could go down the list. What, what's the answer then? Look, 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 I don't think you see there's clearly not in Saudi Arabia or Russia what you see in China. Unfortunately, Steve, the, the, the NBA uh, situation um, really drove home the, the market opportunity in China, which is, you know, the elephant in the room that it, it's going to be hard, you know, to, to to go after your own interests. And, and I mean, a, a clean divorce from China would we've got 500 million basketball fans. In, in NBA fans in China, we got 300 million people in the whole United States. So that that drove home to me the type of market potential there is for everything in China, and that's why for 25 years we've sort of been able to to look away because we're getting all this cheap stuff from Walmart, and, and you know inflation stays low. I don't see how you have a a a, a full divorce 
from a market opportunity like that, Steve. And I, I mean, I, I know that it's about profits oh, can, and money. I, I, I can see, I can, I, I can see how you have a, a decoupling. We're going down a decoupling right now. It's the Chinese that are in Washington D.C. to try to present President Trump with at least an interim step because they know the path he's going down is a decoupling. They're, they're petrified about that in Beijing. Companies are going to have to understand the CCP is a totalitarian dictatorship, and they're seeing this. If they want to be in business with that, then let their shareholders and let their board of directors bear the fiduciary responsibility of that. Thank you, Steve Bannon. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the United Auto Workers strike at General Motors hits its 26th day. Estimated losses are mounting to the entire supply chain. We'll hear from a small business owner and GM parts supplier who is feeling the pinch. If they don't settle, we're looking at a 25, potentially 30 percent reduction in sales in October. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. And Joe Biden. Three, two, wipe up to him with Mike. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. This will wake you up a little. It's Friday. And I'm Joe Kern along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. General Motors uh, is urging the United Auto Workers uh, to agree to around-the-clock bargaining in an attempt to reach an agreement and end the strike against the automaker. Today is the 26th day of the work stoppage. That's the longest uh, in quite a while. Any potential deal wouldn't mean uh, an immediate end to the strike. It would still need approval from local union uh, leaders, also rank-and-file members. Uh, but uh, maybe there's uh, some light at the end of the tunnel uh, here. And hopefully it's not a train. Okay. Uh, joining us right now to continue this conversation is Stripmatic uh, CEO Bill Adler. Stripmatic, of course, uh, Stripmatic, I should say, is a GM supplier. Bill, good morning to you. What's the impact been uh, on your business? Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me on your program. Uh, Stripmatic... Is, uh, has about 90% automotive-related parts, and GM's about 30% of uh, our total sales. The recent impact, we've had two very strong years. Uh, we grew 20% in 18. We we're growing on track for about a 30% growth this year up until we hit the, the GM strike. And we found uh, our first impact of that was just a few weeks ago. Uh, we're like a second or third tier supplier. So we started seeing rollback in our releases. Uh, our September numbers, uh, we lost about 15% revenue in September. And our forecast for October, if they don't settle, we're looking at a 25, potentially 30% reduction in sales in October. And, and thus far, how have you tried to adapt or dealt with this? Good question. Um, we have been uh, dealing with the labor shortage. So we've been running a lot of overtime. And that's actually depleted some of our safety stock. So short term, we're focusing on replenishing our safety stock while we're getting this little breather. Uh, after that, we have some productivity uh, items on a list that we've created that we haven't had manpower to address, so we're focusing on that. And if this goes more than you know a week or so, then we do have to start looking at reducing hours and potential layoffs. 
Okay, so this, I don't know if this is a hard or easy question for you. Who do you side with in this, in this uh, battle? It is a hard question. Um, you know what? I, I think you've got two huge behemoth entities. Uh, they both had so much to lose by not getting this resolved. Um, I drive GM cars. Uh, you know, my workers, we're not in union, but we sympathize with, you know, the wage side of this. They've got to come to an agreement because they both have too much to lose and they've got to get back to work. Uh, the whole supply chain are many small family businesses like us. Uh, all the hard effort we put into earning profit through the first nine months, every day that we're out, we're chipping away and losing those profits that we worked real hard to gain. Are, are you communicating with GM? Are they calling you every day saying we're, we're almost there, we're working on this? I mean, what's, what's going on behind the scenes with all of the supply chain well, that you're I, talking about? Well, actually, again, I'm second or third tier right. supplier, so I've got a buffer between me and GM. We're in very close contact with our uh, customers, and to be honest, I mean, sometimes we get a 24-hour notice and not even that on, on changes in our shipments. Right. Uh, Bill, before we let you go, just wanted to get your... your you know, weigh in on the situation in terms of the China, China trade war that's taking place. Is that impacting your business as well? Immensely. Uh, I think we have to give uh, a lot of uh, thanks to the president for putting China on the table. Uh, they've been the big gorilla in the room as far as impacting global economy. Um, we need to get a trade deal agreed to. Uh, we've got it. Their overproduction is probably one of the key factors in manufacturing in the U.S. not being as competitive. They're the ones really hurting the U.S. steel industry, and they've got to address this and get these issues resolved and get China to, to play fair in the global economy. If, you, if the president only gets a skinny deal, as they're calling it now, or at least Joe's calling it, would that placate you or, or would that not be enough? I have to admit I'm not sure I know exactly what the skinny deal is yet. I'm not sure we do either, but uh, we will uh, hope to come back to you and continue this conversation. Uh, I hope this gets resolved uh, for your sake and for uh, the, the, the many uh, suppliers and families uh, that, that work for those suppliers around the country. Thank you. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Next on Squawk Pod, a rescue package may be in the works for WeWork. But who will sweep in to save the struggling startup? Is this throwing good money after bad? What's the valuation on this company? What does it have to get to in order to make that money not a loss? We've got that and more of today's stories when we come back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This is Squawk Pod. 
Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Three, two, stand Andrew by. Breaking overnight, as Joe mentioned uh, at the top of the show, Iranian officials now say that two missiles struck an Iranian oil uh, tankers uh, traveling through the Red Sea off the coast of Saudi Arabia. Crude prices as a result of this uh, news, uh, they are, are jumping. You're seeing that this morning, uh, up close to 2% this morning. A WTI crude now at 54.47. Iranian state television saying that explosion damaged two uh, storerooms ab- uh, aboard the oil tanker and caused an oil leak. The attack reportedly happened about 60 miles from the Saudi port city of Jeddah. Uh, Remember, the U.S. has now alleged in in the past months uh, that Iran attacked oil tankers near the Straits of Hormuz and also blamed Iran for the drone attack on a Saudi refinery. The early talk, uh, they're saying that they have it under control. They have not yet started blaming anyone for for where they think this has come from. It's it's, uh, a little confusing, but we will see what happens. Probably never good to conjecture anything about any of this stuff, but... You know, they've been sort of the attackers, yes. not the attackees. And you wonder, was there, you know, was there something just, else going on? Yes. Well, just because they didn't point fingers quickly, at anyone, I the same thing. it like, makes you just I, wonder, I was it like a screw I, up or something? But, but we but have no, right. we have we no, have no idea. idea. We have no, no idea what happened. So there's we'll no reason to even talk about it. They this. were attacked by someone, but yeah. we'll find out soon enough. Two missiles hit hit a tanker. That much we know. We've got a new uh, report from the Financial Times uh, saying a rescue package could be in the works for WeWork, and it could come as soon as next week. Here's what's happening. J.P. Morgan uh, leading a fundraising talk to raise funding for the struggling startup, which needs uh, cash. Uh, as you know, after that failed IPO attempt, WeWork facing a year-end deadline to go public in order to secure a $6 billion loan, in addition to the estimated $3 billion that would have been raised in the IPO. Without that cash, the company's new Co-CEOs are reportedly considering staff cuts and huge divestitures, but there is a uh, major effort underway to try to rescue uh, this situation, given their growth plans. And then the question is, how far back do you have to ratchet back the growth plans? And even if you don't have your growth plans, how much cash do you actually need? SoftBank. How SoftBank. much of, of, of this rests on SoftBank coming to the table? I imagine a lot of this is table. going to rest on SoftBank. I, I, don't think, I think SoftBank's going to be putting up money. I don't think there's any way to do this. Without, without that, the question is, can you get a third party to come in with new money to somehow credentialize effectively both these new co-CEOs and the plan going forward? That's a big part right. of this. And, and the other you, question with SoftBank is, is, is this good, throwing good money after bad? If, if you've well, already put in point, 10 put billion, in, what's, the, what's the valuation on this company? What does it have to get to in order to make that money? Not a loss. But that's what you're playing against now. It, yeah. it is good. It may, it may be good money after bad, but, but an, extra billion, do, an extra, extra billion dollars to, to, sure keep, to keep it alive keep it right. might actually be a better investment. Than, Especially if you can get third parties to put in part of it. And that's the question, yeah. whether you can. Good news for fans of Breaking Bad. The highly anticipated feature length This is what I'm doing tonight, folks. This is my plan series. tonight. You know, Colorado plays Oregon. Okay. This is what I'm doing tonight. You can watch that. I'm watching this. Um, and I think they're getting like 22 points. It's a, it's a big spread. Anyway, uh, I'm addicted. I've gotten addicted. Okay. Of, I won last night. Tell North us Carolina. about this, I, I, Okay. It's a hit series debuts on Netflix today. The film stars Aaron Paul and marks the return of his beloved uh, character, Jesse Pinkman. I don't know <laughs> who came up with that name in the first episode. It picks up uh, right where the series left off, detailing Pinkman's escape from captivity uh, and life after. I don't remember exactly. I remember what happened to Walter White. He's not coming back, I don't think. Um, but it's only happened one other time. Anyway, the movie will have a limited theatrical... Dallas. Bobby. Oh, Jack and Jon Snow. Jon Snow did, too. Anyway, uh, for release. But uh, won't be eligible 
for Oscar consideration. You're excited you about believe, this? For those of you who believe that Breaking Bad may very well be the, the best, best I drama yeah. ever made, yeah. yes. and Vince Gilligan is a genius. Yes. Right? And it could work a with Jesse. A bonafide genius. This is worth watching. Right. I'd still like Walt. It's, it, you know, it's like trying to bring back The Sopranos. I don't know if you saw, and I don't want to give anything away, but I saw a still, an image yeah. from this that seemed to suggest there was an image of Walter White in We're going this. back in time. Or I don't know. Oh, maybe they could do I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. I, and I, I haven't seen it myself yet. Tonight's my. Our, you know, we're going to have a Sorkin family viewing party. The Red Witch is going to bring him back. Or something? I, I don't know the. Is that what she was called in, in uh, Game of Thrones? You remember the. Uh, you know, I was never a Game of Thrones guy. Oh, you never were. Yeah. Jon Snow died. <laughs> Came back. Totally. Yeah, you are just like spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, Central. What's, what's wrong things? with you? Not only that, it, it turns out he's Aegon Targaryen. Don't, don't, don't say it. He's Aegon Targaryen. I don't know anything. All along, he was not a bastard. Don't, don't say it. He was never a bastard. That's the show for today. Next week, get ready. Earnings season kicks off. We'll get the quarterly financial reports from a ton of major American companies. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. I like skinny deal. Skinny skinny deal, deal. small deal. Skinny deal, because I like a skinny margarita or a skinny bundle or skinny... uh... You like a skinny bundle? No, I don't like skinny bundles. I I think people should, should have... You know, big thick cable bundles from Comcast, but uh, but I like the term skinny skinny burrito. You know, doesn't have the skinny cow. Skinny cow. It's an ice cream. Oh, it is. Yeah. I don't think I'd like that. It's like kissing your sister. I, I don't. I, you know, the uh, like yogurt. I don't like that. I want I want full force, like Haagen Dazs or, or Graders. No, no, no. Graders is actually good. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.